Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Bruskin. I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action, and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. We have our full panel, which means Rebecca Lynch from the Wisconsin Working Families Party is here. Rebecca, good to see you. Good to be here. And Robert Craig, Executive Director here at Citizen Action, is with us. Robert. Uh, peace and solidarity, everyone. All right. That's the end of the happiness for Robert, because we're going to talk about polling today, and you know Robert loves polling. Uh, we are now uh, more than a week out from the primary election, which means two big things have happened uh, in the elections, and we're going to talk about that. That is the avalanche of TV ads have begun in all the major races, as we predicted, but also we have a number of polls that have come out uh, post-primary. So we're going to dive into that. We'll talk a lot more elections. Um, we're also going to be joined by Eric Marsh to give us an update on the marijuana referendums. We had Eric on earlier this year. Uh, but also talk a little bit about marijuana popping at 61% support in the Marquette poll for full legalization, which is a very interesting uh, number, and I'm sure Eric is excited. But we'll dive into that. We're going to be joined by Christine Ralph. She is a Citizen Action Organizing Cooperative member and also running for State Assembly in uh, District 660, which is in uh, the along the eastern shore of Wisconsin, uh, northern suburbs of Milwaukee, up in uh, north of there into Ozaki. With that, let's dive into the elections. Um, I want to talk about the Marquette poll because it is, you know, we've talked about it here for better or worse. It does define a lot of the perceptions of the election. Uh, uh, thanks to the media. Thanks to the media and us, right? You can blame us, right? Blame me. Mm -hmm. Blame Matt. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just reflecting the reality out there and that there isn't often a lot of other good, thorough polling that's released to us uh, and given to us on a platter with breakdowns. And <laughs> but uh, in addition to the Marquette poll, there was other uh, additional polls that came out. Another poll last week had Evers up five points. We can talk about that. But uh, before we get Robert's reminder of the limits of polling... <laughs> <laughs> um, let's just say that at the top of the ticket, uh, in terms of the governor's race, very little has changed. Walker's moved virtually nothing. He's, you know, his favorability has been like a lead balloon between 46 and 49%. Uh, and the race shows as a dead heat, pretty much whether you're talking about their field of whatever they believe likely voters are versus registered voters. It's essentially a dead heat. Uh, likewise, the Baldwin-Vukmir race interesting numbers there and that their screen for likely has it a two-point race but when you look at the registered um baldwin has an eight-point lead so you know that's kind of what we expected to be honest other than you know if you looked at that outlier 14-point maris poll i think it was um we've sort of known that the governors that these top of tickets were going to be tight there's a lot other stuff I want to dive into, but I want to get both of your reaction just in general to those two top top lines. Rebecca. You know, we, we talked a bit about polling last week, uh, and I think one of the things I said on the show was that we're going to see the polls start to tighten as we you know get closer to Labor Day and after Labor Day, just like we did in 2016. And so I think this is partially evidence of that. I mean, I'll let Robert kind of rail against this poll. Lynch Adamas. <laughs> you know, it's a, <laughs> it's a bit of a, you know, it, it, some folks say it's a bit of a Republican poll kind of like let Robert weigh in on that but you know we are going to see particularly for Tammy the polls tie in there's been 
been a lot of outside spending against her. Uh, Forty million, just to be clear. I, I read that yes this morning actually. That's it's insane. insane. I did it's not insane. See that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So you know, and I think the the Koch brothers are only going to spend more, mm-hmm. and Dan Hendricks and others are probably only going to spend more. And so I think you know we should expect that the polls are going to continue to the tighten. You know, one thing, and I think we'll talk a little bit more about this later, but one thing that I think will be interesting is uh, seeing, you know, how as national events as they play out impact Wisconsin races as kind of the summer ends and we get into fall, you know, there's going to be um, all across the country this weekend, uh, a Unite for Justice rallies um, in Milwaukee and in Madison, there are in Wisconsin, you know, highlighting a, you know, Kavanaugh, the person who's being appointed to the Supreme Court, or sh- might be appointed to the Supreme Low lighting him? <laughs> yeah, low lighting <laughs> instead of highlighting, you know, his record, you know, on women's health, on uh, labor, on, you know, all sorts of things. And so I think, you know, that fight is just gearing up. I think it's going to really impact local elections. Uh, of course, you know, the Russia investigation is ongoing. And, you know, in some ways, I don't think impacts people's public opinion quite as much as some of these other things. But, you know, it's so unpredictable. We don't know what's going to happen. So I think the polls will continue to tie in. We always knew this race is going to be very competitive for Tammy. At the same time, you know, uh, what external factors beyond Republican spending against her, which we know is coming, are going to impact the electorate? I don't know. Excellent points. Before I get to Robert, you start to bring in a number of things that we'll get dive in deeper after we get Robert's overall comments about there are a lot of things going on in this poll underneath about issues and broader things that are happening that certainly ought to be in progressives' favors. You you mentioned the Russia stuff. Trump remains wildly unpopular, particularly amongst independents, uh, and that dynamic has not changed. Robert. Well, given that Trump is an unindicted co-conspirator now in the Cohen plea. Hey, Robert, he's still <laughs> at 45% approval yes. rating, so let's not. <laughs> so, uh, co-conspirator on multiple felonies. Anyway, so since you promised I was going to talk about polling in general, let me just point out again, it's not just a small little footnote in eight-point font. There's a 4% margin of error. This is just on the candidates. It's bigger for issues, by the way. For likely voters, 4.5 for registered. So it's, for example, if someone told you that I have a poll that shows that the Brewers are going to win by one one run tonight with a margin of error of four, which is mean they could win by five runs, they could lose by three runs. So it does, I mean, it, it narrows the ground a bit, uh, but it doesn't tell you much. So, for example, we have this idea that I think it was the NBC Marist poll that Evers up five. Well, and now we're saying, and the media is saying, oh, the race is tightened. You know what? The two polls are the same because they're within the margin of error, folks. So this could mean that Walker has is at 51%. It could mean he is at 42%, just to make very clear. So I think it tells us what we might have guessed is, is that the race is a toss-up. And the idea that Marquette polls, that Charles Franklin knows what the turnout composition is going to be, no matter how much political science he throws in, is not the case. Just think about the 2016 election in Trump and how all the polls were wrong. So it tells us this is a toss-up and we need to work our tails off if we're going to beat Scott Walker. That's what it so, tells us. So I want to move away from the um, the candidate parts because that is a lot, lot less easy to track, whereas some of these issues, they track over time and are there's a lot of very interesting things that are going on and it actually speaks to the environment that we've already talked about in terms of Walker's ads talking about how great he is on education and now trying to defend himself on health care and you know all of these things well you know this poll reveals really starkly why that is the top three issues are issues that like he's on defensive like jobs the economy health care 
right, in public education. And so I wanted to get, Rebecca, first start with you. There's a lot of things going on in terms of some of the underlying aspects here that are very positive, actually, for, the, for progressives in the environment. Um, I already mentioned legalization, 61% uh, is, a, I'll say it, a surprising number that it would be that high right away. But there's very impressive things in here in the swap for people's perceptions of taxes and cutting taxes being the top issue or being something they cared more about than public education, and that is wholesale switched in this poll. Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of an interesting question to ask folks. You know, the way they phrase it is the most important issue facing Wisconsin. I still think that, you know, given all the other polling that we've seen and also just what we know, that healthcare is the biggest motivator for people going to the polls. But, you know, folks are um, obviously concerned about jobs in the economy. They're concerned about public education. I think in the context of the governor's race in particular, education is going to be like the top issue that's on everybody's minds. I mean, you could already tell based on the attack ads that that's what, you know, both yeah. sides are, are looking to focus on. Um, you know, and I think jobs, jobs is tough because I think, you know, particularly if this oversampled Republicans, I think there's, um, I'm just hearing anecdotally yeah. from the field from some of our le really progressive legislative candidates who are knocking on all types of doors that when they get, uh, when they get Democrats on the doors, they're concerned about education, they're concerned about the environment, they're concerned about a whole host of things. When they get independents on the doors, they're concerned about corruption and democracy. When they get Republicans on the doors, they, you know, the talking point over and over again is unemployment is low and my taxes are lower. And so I think both sides are concerned about jobs and they're coming at it from different angles. Correct. Correct. Robert, your thoughts? I think, you know, what a top issue is, is there are at least two dynamics, more than that probably, but I'm just going to name two. One is how important the issue is in general to the public. And then the next thing is whether there's a clear differentiation that drives voters to support one candidate versus another. And education, I think, has long been the top issue in this state, but Republicans who are awful on education have really won because the issue hasn't been cut in a way that gets all, a lot of folks who care about education to realize that their Republican legislator who's running on good schools is devastating the schools, right? Or setting up a whole private competitive system to defund their schools, which they are doing. So you would think Tony Evers is better situated to win this argument because of who he is. Because yeah. the one thing he is is a teacher who became, who, who's dedicated his life to education and has been a very successful secretary for the Department of Public Instruction. So hopefully that's the case. Walker's desperately been trying to soften his image, and we don't know with those voters that would move on the issue whether Walker's softening with whatever $40, $50 million he'll spend will be sufficient or not. So it could be, even though health care is lower in this issue, that health care is a better differentiation issue. It might be the way around. One, but they're both big issues. That's one thing we absolutely know here. And one thing I notice, I don't see the wording, maybe we can find it for the Marquette healthcare question. They say health coverage. Well, the biggest issue is not coverage, it's cost. Right. So I do wonder whether the question included cost or not. So with that, we're going to take a break here at the Battleground, Wisconsin. We appreciate you listening. You, we are Citizen Action, and you can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground, Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. And we are talking about the election, and in particular, we're talking about the Marquette poll and how uh, it impacts the election. But specifically, we're talking about some of the issues and some of the underlying dynamics that are going on in the poll. And I do think <clears throat> it does matter. And it just this poll, to me, says that there is tremendous opportunity 
for our candidates if they talk about these core issues in a clear, defining way, particularly public education, right? The idea that that Walker has failed to make those investments. And he's chosen like cut tax cuts for the wealthy and well-connected over public education. And this poll says that that's golden, particularly amongst independents. If you're out and we're talking about this, it just seems like the roadmap to victory, especially given the wave, and the wave we know has a lot to do with Trump, right? So if they, if they want, they could just call Trump out automatically and just be like, look, Trump is really put this country at risk and we need people here at the state to be a check on that. And there's things we can do t on education, on jobs, right? And the, the, this poll certainly would, to me, say there's a roadmap to victory in a huge wave, but if it doesn't and you're not talking about things or clarifying the differences clearly, right, like this, this will be, a, a, as Al McGuire said, a white knuckler, right? This is going to be a close, tight, you know, race uh, up and down. But and I'm sure we'll be hearing from Scott Walker <laughs> that the only reason property taxes are so low here is because he's just done such a fantastic job lowering people's tax burden. But I, I'm just note the sarcasm. I'm just telling you, it is amazing up and down on these issues with independence. It's just like totally with progressive side of the issue on this, uh, and so there's huge opportunity. But with that, ads. I'd like to give opportunity to talk about the ads, right, and what what's been going on, right, and onslaught of ads. I did look up that number: forty million in ads in the Senate race, including the candidates and the independent side. That is an amazing number that used to be a number that would blow your mind for a general for the whole thing and that was just just the primaries rebecca yeah you know i loyal listeners will know that i'm a millennial without tv and cable so i rarely see these ads but i went to the gym yesterday and i got to see all of them in rapid succession <laughs> so i'm well caught up uh and it's it's fascinating i mean i think you know there's um both like i said earlier in the last segment all about education the anti-tony ads the anti-walker ads they're all about education i think um and that, porn yeah right right and i you know the the anti-tony evers ads um to me don't really stick and they don't feel like they're sticking but i imagine that there's more to come and you know uh right before the show we were talking about how americans for prosperity just made a two million dollar ad buy over the next two weeks and they know how to craft a disingenuous, hard-hitting ad. So you don't think it'll be civil discourse and help, <laughs> help contribute to the conversation? It's not my prediction, no. So, <laughs> you know, let, let, let's see what's coming down the pike. But, yeah, already, I mean, you know, I think the, the station that was on at the gym was HGT, HGTV, and every commercial was just back-to-back-to-back political ad is remarkable. Yeah, in the morning, I, I work out at the Y, and they have the TV news on, and it is just ad after ad after ad. I'll say the... I really do think the ad about, and then there's this teacher, the one that I think it's uh, the Governor's Association is running is excellent. And because it does really contrast sort of this corrupt political, highly political animal versus Tony is not. You can say whatever you want. He's not highly political, right? He's He's an, he's an educator. I guess the worst thing you could say about Tony is kind of like an education bureaucrat, right? Which like in stark con even that in contrast to a corrupt politician is pro <laughs> just might be a winner a no a political robot <laughs> but like if you're looking at sort of the two negatives and this gets to what you were saying about like does that like that porn ad stick it's like first of all it's quite the stretch in the notion that somehow the DPI guy is really responsible for yeah. this one teacher yeah it's just it 
it's unbelievable, especially given what the Republicans are dealing with in their party and just the garbage that's been going on. Robert? Well, while Robert's yes. collecting his yes. thoughts, no, I'll just I say quickly. No, I completely lost the strand. <laughs> oh, so okay. remind me where well, we were? It's okay. Well, I'll just say my favorite thing about the anti-Tony Evers ad is that they oh. try as hard as they as they might to make Tony Evers' face look like villainous. <laughs> yes, that's right. And you just can't. You know, he's just, like, just a nice guy. Just yeah. like a nice older guy. So, um, you know, I, I do think that we're, there are going to be some harder-hitting negative ads to come. But, yeah, I, I don't feel that that one sticks. Yeah, I don't think mean. You, you, With attack ads, you should capture some small part of someone to be really effective, even if it's a distortion, right? That's so why the porn stuff doesn't work with Tony Evers. It's like, right. really? And really? that the facts, the, like where they were politifacted, that he actually worked with the legislature to change the law? You know, it's like, come on, right? Like, really? That's, that's going to be your so, heavy anvil? So... As the voters are treated to this, uh, what would you say, this sludge pile of ads in, from now to the general election, I think every, and which by the way makes voters cynical about government and our political process and our democracy, just remember this is all courtesy of our right wing US and state Supreme Courts that decided billionaires have, have an unfettered right under the First Amendment, the founders apparently intended this, to spend any money they want in any way they want to influence elections, right, in order to make, take economic power and translate into political power, so create political inequality through economic power and inequality. And remember also that the U.S. Supreme Court, it is still a precedent, maybe it won't be after Kavanaugh if he's confirmed as confirmed, that that African-American kids have a right not to be in segregated schools. Same with other kids of color. Remember, segregation's worse than it was before Brown's versus Bird of Education. So just note how constitutional rights are rigorously enforced for the billionaires. Every time you turn your TV, you'll see that. And how uh, the uh, constitutional rights established long precedent for, the, for people of less power in our society. Uh, guess it doesn't matter, because technically no one's actually doing it the way they did in Jim Crow, even though we, uh, our society has found even more effective mechanisms than Jim Crow for segregating. I'll just make another plug for folks to do their civic engagement this week by coming out to the Unite for Justice rallies. They're at 11 o'clock. One is at the Capitol in Madison, I think at the State Street intersection, and then the one in Milwaukee is at the Milwaukee County Courthouse. So before we go to break, I wanted to bring up Trump and Trump's rolling back Obama's climate rule, because I... I Oh, not Russia. No, not Russia. Serious <laughs> issues here, right? I mean, not this the is, other paying off porn stars uh, and silencing them right before. This elections. is a big deal. Now, I I don't want to like over dramatize it in terms of I believe that this movement is moved in such a way that like there are certain things that no matter what Trump does, he can't stop the tide of like I think cities and states starting to move towards this. But like what he's done here is catastrophic in terms of if it actually was carried out to its nth degree, right? And we know some of these states uh, will do that. It's it's huge. So before I we go any further, just it's important what I'm talking about here this week, the Trump administration, basically they were in uh, West Virginia, Trump loves coal, rolled out sweeping climate change regulations, basically rolling back a lot of what Obama's did, giving the states tremendous authority on how they're going to regulate, uh, rolling back, I think, uh, even fuel standards, other things. But uh, Robert, I know this is something you care very deeply about and that this organization now is working towards moving towards 100% renewable in Milwaukee and wherever we can. This is a big, huge news this week. Yeah. And look, the facts are clear. They've been clear a long time right? 
that we're facing a genocide, an unprecedented genocide, you know, politifact and politifact beyond this. Uh, for humans, maybe there was the genocide of the dinosaurs, but for humans, this is an yeah. unprecedented genocide. We know it's the case. I actually agree with uh, the science fiction writer Kim Stanley Robinson, who said that scientists who think they're apolitical are wrong, that progressives are the ones who believe in facts, and conservatives are the ones who don't. They just want to get their way, so to speak, and they're highly ideological about that and close to facts. And that's very clear here. The Republican Party is all on board for what Trump is going to do because it's a political advantage and it makes profit in the short term for the people who fund their campaigns and who they really, really support and work for. Uh, it's also going to be a very unequal genocide. That is to say, uh, it's, going to, it's going to be like Katrina, uh, but way worse, where the folks of color in the Southern Hemisphere and in our own country are going to be way um, disproportionately harmed. Everyone will be harmed. Every, people's, all people's children are at threat, but it's going to be a highly unequal and, and racist genocide as well, uh, very clearly. So it would be much easier for the federal government to do this, right? In fact, it would only take 1.5 pretender GDP to meet the Paris targets. Let's think about that. If space aliens are looking at us, they're saying, is this species smart enough to spend 1.5% of its wealth to create tons of jobs and to prevent a genocide? So far, uh, Trump does not have the IQ or doesn't care or is immoral, all the above. So we're to the cities in Wisconsin. Madison is moving forward, trying to get to 100% renewable, not just for the city, not just their buildings, the whole economy, okay? Eau Claire has passed that, and two uh, Western Wisconsin co-op members of Citizen Action were the co-sponsors of that. And Milwaukee, a resolution is being worked on that we're heavily involved in. So that's all great, but it's way harder for a city to do this uh, the, and, and for a region to do this, that is for the federal government to do it or a state government to do it. And it's actually going to require a level of sacrifice that m cities may not be up to. And we're going to fight like hell, right? But the city of Milwaukee's main money is this economic development money that flows through the city and goes to developers to build all sorts of things. That's really the only place you could have the leverage to create a huge jobs program that also led to a clean energy transition. And city politics would have to be transformed to do that because that's not the way city resources are spent right now. We probably have to spend a whole heck of a lot less on over-policing as well uh, because that's, where, uh, that's, the, that's the biggest city direct expenditure, right? little preview there, Rebecca. Oh, I don't have much to say on this other than, you know, it's a national security issue. And as we see, uh, I think it's a Category 4 hurricane approaching Hawaii. Um, you know, the amount of federal national security response and funding that, you know, we need to respond to, to you know, incidents like these um, is, is pretty tremendous. So. Well, with that, we will be back. You're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We're really excited about our next guest. He's a returning guest. We just had him on recently, but um, they're doing such great work over there at Normal. We figured we'd have Eric Marsh back on. Eric is the Southeastern Wisconsin Executive Director of Normal. And uh, Eric, we're really glad to have you this morning. Hey, great to be here. So we got you back on because there's a lot of uh, big news. Um, Referendums continue uh, to be set up in counties, and I want to get your uh, comments on that. But I want to start by the number in the Marquette poll yesterday. We've already done a deep dive on the poll, so we don't have to get into all of that other than that 61% of registered voters want to see marijuana fully legalized and regulated like alcohol. So what does the executive director of Normal think about that? 
think crossing that 60% barrier is a huge, a huge mark. I mean, it's almost two to one now, 36% oppose, 61% support. I mean, this is, this is honestly less controversial than Foxconn and a lot of the other issues that a lot of the candidates aren't afraid to, to take a bold stance on. So I think it's about time for all the Democrats and all the progressives to, to take a stand and call for full legalization of marijuana at this point. So you're saying, Eric, the politicians are behind the people? Yeah, oh yeah, they definitely are. I mean, you look at the support that it has in the legislature, and I mean, you certainly don't see 61% of, of the representatives co-sponsoring the legalization bills. And Eric, I, you know, just as someone who's been tracking the uh, referendum strategies and reading the stories, it astounds me that you'll have 50, 100 people, 200 people show up in support of this, very few people against and the against is like demagoguery and the worst sort of like slippery slope kind of gateway nonsense. And and yet these some of these places, these politicians are super timid. Like it's like seriously, it's like it's like the 1950s. And, and so this poll really hopefully will be a clarion call and really push people, uh, including the governor, who's been nowhere to be found on this issue. Speaking of how we can elect The governor once said recently, like a year ago, that industrial hemp was a gateway drug. <laughs> Yeah. So, your thoughts, Eric, and then and then I want uh, you to give us an update on all the counties now, the new counties that have come on that are going to have referendums. Yeah. Well, I mean, Walker Walker just keeps talking to the police and just spouting whatever gateway nonsense they're telling him. I don't think we're going to make any progress with Walker, regardless of what the polling shows. So, basically, the the priority is we need to replace him, and I think once we once we get Walker out of there, I think we'll see more Republican defections coming over to support it, too, because I know there's Republican voters who support cannabis legalization. Um, but, yeah, when it comes to the referendums and people, the support that they have and the timidity, uh, I was just down in Racine, or, I mean, Kenosha on Tuesday, and it, it was just insane, some of the things that, I mean, they were just debating whether or not to put a medical cannabis advisory referendum on the ballot. Having a full legalization one was too controversial for them, despite 61% support, as we see. And even there, it, the vote was 13 to 8. eight. Eight people there on the board voted against even medical cannabis. And some of the things they were saying about, about how THC coats the brain and makes people crave harder drugs and just that it's not safe medicine and you know they're like cbd is good enough and it, it, it's just insane some of the things that that they're saying and even about medical cannabis um, hey. and i wish that poll the market poll would have asked about medical cannabis because i'd be interested to see where that's at but we'll find out after the election because currently there's going to be 14 counties uh that are going to be holding cannabis advisory referendums at least three of those are recreational I believe the vast majority of them are just medical. I know Milwaukee, Rock, and Dane County all have recreational cannabis advisory referendums. And I, I, I know that it was tried in Brown County, but it got shot down. Um, and then so, <clears throat> so there's 14 counties that are currently going to be on the ballot. And Racine is the final county that's going through the process of this. They're going to be voting on it next Tuesday. And that's going to be a hearing uh, at like 6 p.m. down at their their county board center in Sturdivant, and we need all the support we can get out there to make sure that Racine passes too, because we really want to. That one's also going to be asking for recreational and medicinal, and that's Robin Voss's district, 
And there's a good chance that he's going to remain a uh, speaker or was a majority leader, speaker Spe- of the assembly. Speaker, speaker yeah. Um, yeah, speaker of the assembly. And so we want to make sure that if he does get reelected and he does come back into a seat of power there, that it's very clear where his constituents stand on this issue because I'm pretty sure that most of them will support legalization of both medical and recreational cannabis. So real quick, I think Rick has question too. Um, you mentioned law enforcement, and can you, I'm very curious about this, I don't really know, is law enforcement really all kind of backward on this, and or is it mixed, and what the heck, since they're supposed to be interested in public safety, is going on with, with if, if a lot of them or most of them still are against legalization? Um, it's certainly not all of them, uh, particularly here in Milwaukee. I've when we've been doing tables at events and things like that, we've had officers come up and, and ask for stickers and tell us that they support legalization. They have bigger things to worry about. I know there's, yeah, there's a lot of Milwaukee police that are on our side. Uh, we're going to be, we're trying to get a meeting with the new sheriff, Lucas, to talk to him about it because I hear that he's open-minded on the concept of legalization. And I think that a lot of it is just that the, their only interaction with drug users is in negative situations, you know, like they, they never see, as a police officer, they don't see the people who are using cannabis or other drugs in a responsible manner. The people who are using it in a responsible manner, they, they don't even realize are using drugs. And so the only time they, they end up encountering someone with cannabis is when it was also, the other person was also committing some other crime or was doing something stupid and they search the person and find some cannabis on them. And so I think they have kind of a like a sampling bias as far as the people that they're they're interacting with. And then it's also if if they don't if they don't have the excuse of being able to just say they smelled cannabis or be able to just search people or arrest people over something that literally I think it was like twenty percent of young young adults in America use cannabis. I mean it's the prohibition of cannabis and the power that it gives to the police is, is incredible. And I think they don't want to lose that power, that, you know, that blanket power to just essentially harass 20% of the population pretty much whenever they feel like it. So, uh, Eric, this is Rebecca. A couple questions for you. The first is, um, in the lead up to this vote in Racine, are there anything, are there any activities or um, other things that, you know, folks are doing to engage the community before the vote to to have their legislators do what is so clearly like the will of the people, Republicans, Democrats alike, um, that people can plug into or otherwise support? Um, I, basically just getting people to email their, their county supervisors, give them a phone call. We don't have any like big public event down there. Uh, I guess maybe we should have organized one, but it's been it's just been a busy past couple of weeks, and so we had six of these referendums just on Tuesday, five of which passed. Fondulac was the only one that didn't. Well, it sounds like um, what we need most probably is folks to either, as you said, contact or show up, come and have a big public presence in Sturdivant this week. Uh, but um, first of all. Congratulations to you and all of the activists statewide. We have a number of folks in our organizing cooperative around the state who are very interested in this issue. I know a number of leaders up in the Northeast Co-op that have been active, but 
Um, these, this referendum strategy has really helped put it on the map. It is a part of that 61% number, and it is a movement that is not going backwards. So let our listeners know if they want to get involved, Eric, in so that you're not the only one driving around the state. And I know you're not the only one, but so you have more people helping out, and especially after this election, um, start you know serious legislative strategies are certainly in play because the people are there. So what should they do, Eric? Yeah, um, find us on Facebook at Southeastern Wisconsin Normal N O R M L, uh, and also go to our website at sewinormal.org uh, and just contact us to get involved. We're, we're getting our responses back now on our candidate legislative candidate questionnaire, and we want to make sure we're getting out the vote for those supportive candidates and that the ones who haven't answered yet or aren't on our side yet are, are, get, are hearing about cannabis and getting hounded on it everywhere they go. Well, Eric, thanks again for all your work on this referendum strategy and in your organization. But also, we want to thank you for being an active leader within Citizen Actions Organizing Cooperatives. Uh, it's folks like you that really make this democracy happen. So we really appreciate your, your, your energy and your time today. Awesome. Yeah, thank you. With that, we are going to take a break here at the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. On the back end of this break, we will be joined by a candidate for State Assembly, Christine Ruff. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We're really excited about our next guest. She is a active member of Citizen Action's organizing cooperative, although I got to say we haven't seen much of her because she is literally one of the most active state assembly candidates uh, that is out there right now, and that is Christine Rolfe, who is running in Assembly District 16, or 60, excuse me. Christine, thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you guys for having me. So, Christine, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, first of all, but then also let's talk a bit about your district uh, and, uh, and, and give our listeners a little bit better understanding of uh, what kind of district you're running in. So uh, tell us more about yourself. Okay, well, I am a Navy veteran. I come from a uh, multi-generational military uh, family. My father was career Air Force. My grandfather was skipper of a minesweeper in World War II. My husband's Navy. My children are in the military, so public service has kind of been our life. And um, to me, running for office is really just an extension of that desire to serve our, our country and specifically serve you know my community in District 60. District 60 includes um, most of northern Ozaki County, so Cedarburg, Port Washington, a lot of rural townships, and then it also has um, a piece of Washington County just to the east side of West Bend. So it's a, it's a great district. We've got a combination of uh, suburban communities and then also a, uh, a, you know, quite a few rural communities. So it's a, you know, it's a, it's a pretty amazing place to, to live. So, Christine, this is, uh, this is the kind of district uh, politicos like to call a red district. It's been generally, it's carried by Republicans. How and and hasn't had uh, hasn't really had a active uh, state legislative Democratic candidate in a while, uh, which makes you unique. Tell our listener what are you hearing? What are you hearing from folks in the district? Uh, 
and and is that more of a caricature? And as tell us, you know, are, are these voters much more uh, like what we see in other places and uh, available, right? And and your campaign having success with. Let us know a little bit more about that. Sure, um, I liken it to um, think about a uh, a town where everyone's known to be, you know, tuna fish sandwich eaters, and then you you uh, get to know that community and find out there's only one restaurant in town and all they sell are tuna fish sandwiches. Um, That has been kind of what our district has looked like. We haven't run Democrats at the state legislative level. We also haven't run um, a lot of progressive candidates at local elections. But what we've found uh, since April, we've been out heavy on the doors. We've knocked over 3,500 doors. And these are not doors of people that we know to be Democrats. These are doors of, of voters that we don't know much about. And what we're finding is um, an incredible um, uh, surge of, of progressivism. We find people that are not happy um, with the status quo. They feel frustrated when they go to the polls and there's no choice. And they're looking for change. And so I think as Democrats, we owe it to this community and communities like this to have boots on the ground, to be knocking the doors, talking to these voters, and and showing them that we haven't left them behind. We haven't uh, forgotten about these rural communities. We understand the struggles that people have. I've talked to, you know, people often think of Ozaki as a very wealthy uh, county, and I've talked to hundreds of people that, just like everywhere else in the state, they're struggling with health care costs. They're worried about the quality of education that their kids are getting. They're worried about, you know, the, the damage to their cars as they drive on pothole-filled roads. These aren't um, problems unique to my county. They're problems that everyone is dealing with everywhere. And and so the, the, the notion that um, we shouldn't be focusing on some of these more conservative counties. To me, uh, we're missing the boat. I think there's tremendous opportunity here to um, to get our message out, to bring back, to give those voters who may have voted for Trump in 2016, may have voted for Walker. We need to give them an on an on ramp back to uh, back to the Democratic Party. So, Chris, uh, this is Rebecca Lynch from the Working Families Party. When you're knocking on these doors and talking to voters who, quite frankly, no one's bothered to knock on their door in a long time, do you find that uh, folks in your community know what a state rep does um, and have appreciation for for the role that um, you would play if elected in their lives? Or, or do, you, do you find that in addition to talking about the issues, you have to spend some time kind of like, reintroducing people to that role because a state rep hasn't knocked on their door in so long. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, part of what you do at the doors is you do give a a mini civics lesson. I think people often um, don't think about state legislature. They think about Scott Walker. Um, They don't realize how impactful their local representatives have on, on their lives. And so, yes, Part of it is education. A lot of the people we, we talk to don't know who their current state representative is. Um, but once you get them engaged and they understand that there are many issues that we can address at the state level, we don't have to wait for the federal government to fix all our problems, I think people get excited. They feel like they could have a voice in in their government. So, yeah, we, we do talk about what a state representative does. We talk about what you know state legislation does and how that all 
ties into you know the quality of their lives and and um, yeah it's a, it's an important message and I think the best way to deliver that message is to to go out and, and speak to people face to face. So it's probably a fairly easy case to make right now that we can't expect the federal government to accomplish very much. Uh, I would think even Trump supporters, you know, I uh, think uh, probably in their, uh, I mean, you know, I mean, people who are hardcore Trump probably, probably you can't get to, but a lot of Republicans are quietly concerned about th this administration, how effective it is. So, do you, I mean, there is kind of a lot of research out there that says that levels of government that are closer to people are more popular. So do you feel like that there's kind of more regard for state government, say, than, you know, and, you know, polling shows people hate their con the Congress, but they like their individual Congress person, right? Though I believe, is it Glenn Grothman, the congressman for most of your um, district? Yeah, for about 75% um, of my district. The other part is in the 5th CD. And even, even at the congressional level, there still is, you know, I think uh, a lot of folks are unsure who their, you know, who their congressman is even. But I... I think, uh, you know, the, the studies support that, you know, politics is very local. It's very relational. People are going to vote for the people they see, the people they feel they can call when they have a problem. And we need to offer that, that choice for them. I Look, I see this as absolutely fundamental and critical. And I think folks like yourself are, are, are the sleeper, sleeping cell for Democrats this year. And... We are super excited that you're running in a race where normally no one is doing this kind of work. And not only running, but you've been running for months. You're running a, you are raising serious resources so that you will be communicating with these voters at a level that has not existed. And you're not alone. There are a bunch of amazing, particularly women candidates running in conservative suburban areas, in rural areas, Certainly in southeastern Wisconsin, we have Emily Segrist, we have uh, Erica Flynn, a uh, number of folks that are running, and obviously um, uh, Julie Henze at the State Senate, uh, who are all members of our co-op, and you guys are out talking to voters, in many cases, who have not been talked to in years. And I, I just, this is so critical to our democracy. And not only do I think some of you are going to surprise people in your own races, but what it's going to mean to 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 the Democratic Party and to other candidates and the future uh, in these areas is, it's immeasurable. And so I just personally want to thank you for what you're doing and the kind of race you're running, because it is unusual. Uh, and I'm just really excited to have you on today. And I want to encourage and give you an opportunity to talk to our members now and people listening about how they get involved in your campaign, particularly donating, but also getting their feet into those districts, uh, talking to these voters. Yes, well, thank you. Um, and I think uh, what I would uh, ask is that folks visit um, either my website, which is Chris Ralph, C-H-R-I-S-R-A-H-L-F, um, chrisralph.com, or they can find me on Facebook at Chris Ralph for Assembly. And what I would ask folks is if you've got a few hours, um, come on up and help us knock doors. If you would like to volunteer in other ways, we could certainly use your help. I think that in districts like mine, you know, we're, you know, we're, we're just 20 minutes north of the city. Um, this is a great place to really uh, get involved and move the needle. 
um, you know, we're not, um, you, you know, we have we have a lot of, um, you know, we have a lot of open territory where Democrats can make real inroads. This is how, you know, this is how we take back the Senate. This is how we take back the Assembly. We have to start showing up where we haven't shown up before. And so, you know, this is this is just a great opportunity for people to get out and maybe see parts of Wisconsin that they haven't uh, visited in, you know, in a while, and then also talk to people uh, that they wouldn't otherwise get to talk to and understand some of the challenges that you know, some of our smaller, more rural communities are facing. This is a great way to just get out and see a different part of, of Wisconsin and you know, show them that, that we care, that we're, that we're there for people. So, yeah, I would, I'd encourage anybody who'd like to volunteer, certainly reach out to us. And, um, you know, I thank you guys so much for having me on today. Well, we're really thrilled you're running, and it's great to be able to run with someone like you. And with that, we got to wrap up this, this uh, Battleground uh, Wisconsin. Chris, Christine, we thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. And we want to thank Brian Wildridge, our producer, who makes this happen every week. And, of course, we've got to thank Eric Marsh for joining us from Normal to talk about the marijuana referendums. But with that, we'll see you next week here at the Battleground, Wisconsin.